Amen. And all of God's people said, Amen. I tell you, it is such a blessing to be able to come and to stop on this Sunday morning and worship together. Always is. But you know, as I have found over the last few weeks, this Sunday morning worship for me, well, first, it gives me rhythm. And I'll be honest, during a time like the weeks we've experienced, I don't have much rhythm. And you probably don't have much rhythm either. It seems like yesterday was tomorrow and tomorrow was today. And all of the different days begin to run together. But Sunday, I can stop with my church family and I can still focus and I can have rhythm. Some rhythm of the week. But also, I have encouragement. I am able to see the encouragement of God himself fall upon my life, upon my families, and hopefully upon our congregation and beyond. This morning, even as we've sung, we've talked about God the Waymaker. We have talked about his faithfulness. Through the singing, through the worship that we've offered him, we have already sensed the encouragement of God. And sometimes we need that. And I believe right now during this time of our life, We need a lot of that encouragement. I must confess to you that there are days that I am both confused and conflicted. I have confusion to fill my spirit and I am conflicted in my heart. And maybe you are too as we see the things around us. Now, I I hate to admit that to you. I hate to be that transparent with you this morning. But as I was studying this week, I realized I was in some good company. Because as I studied this week, there was a guy named C.S. Lewis that lived during the 20th century, one of the greatest intellects, and I think one of the greatest Christian giants of the 20th century. I was reading through some of his work, and I was noticing that he even had moments of confusion and moments where his heart was conflicted. This guy who wrote Mere Christianity, who also reminded us of the problem of pain, and he wrote a book by that title. But there was another book that maybe you've never read before. It was entitled, A Grief Observed. When C.S. Lewis first put that book out, he actually put it out under a pseudonym because it was so raw that I'm not sure he wanted it associated with him. But it was written right after his wife had died of bone cancer. And he made a statement in that book. He said, there are times when we are living in joy and prosperity, it feels like when we run to God, he opens his arms to us and he embraces us. And yet there are times of difficulty in life too, as he had just experienced. And he said, so often when I run to God, it seems like, well, it seems like God slams the door in my face. And you can hear him bolting it, not just once, but twice. You know, there are times we may feel like God has distanced himself from us. There are times of confusion. There are times when we uh, feel a lack of clarity in our lives. But not only did C.S. Lewis experience that, I would say to you that the earliest of the disciples experienced that as well. Even Even as they walked in the shadow of the tomb, even as they walked away from the resurrection morning, they still had some type of confusion and they had conflict in their spirit. 
I want to share this with you this morning from the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Gospel of Luke chapter 24, Luke gives us an account of two disciples. It's peculiar to his gospel. It's not found in any of the rest. But it reminds us, again, of the confusion and the conflict that can come in our heart. But thankfully, it also reminds us that Jesus is willing to take a walk with us to clear up that confusion, to clear up that conflict, and to bring conviction and convincing in our lives. Look, if you will, beginning in verse 13 of that 24th chapter. It says, Now behold, one of Luke's favorite terms, behold. And what it says to us is that Luke is now making a transition. Remember in the first 12 verses, he gives us the Easter morning account. He tells us about how those women went to the tomb and they did not find the body of Jesus. Rather, they found the stone rolled away and they found these angels that made an announcement of the resurrection of Jesus. And These women had come back, had spoken to the others. There had been those who had gone to the tomb, Peter and John, we're told. And here you have a break. From that Sunday morning where all of this activity, the resurrection activity was taking place, to Sunday afternoon, that Easter Sunday. So Luke says, behold, two of them, that would be some of the disciples who were there in that room who had heard the reports. Two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles away, a couple-hour journey which, from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And the one, the, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? So again, these disciples, we're told one of their names, Cleopas, they're walking to Emmaus. Maybe they had been in Jerusalem for the Passover event. They had obviously been there for the events surrounding Jesus' life. And now they're going home. And they're talking about these things. They're reflecting. They're processing what they've heard. They processing. They processed what they had seen. And as they are walking back, Jesus shows up. Now, they don't know Jesus. Jesus obscures his identity. Jesus literally holds their eyes. That's what the scripture says. It, he holds their eyes. Think about that. That Jesus could be walking right with us, and yet he may obscure our view for just a few moments for his own plan and his own purpose. Because what he's going to do is he's going to reveal himself as the living Lord. But at this point, he's obscuring his, well, obscuring his presence there. And maybe right now, again, you feel like the Lord may have slammed a door in your face. You may feel like he's not right there. I would tell you that based upon what the scripture teaches us, that the Holy Spirit is always there. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. He walks right with us. And here, these two disciples are going to encounter the presence of Jesus. Now, again, Luke gives us one of their names, Cleopas. I think he does that because I believe he knows Cleopas. I I really think Cleopas was the eyewitness that was telling Luke the story. Remember, Luke does a lot of research for his gospel and for the book of Acts. He writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he interviews people that were there. 
And here he's talking, I believe, to Cleopas. And can you imagine Cleopas telling this story again? I mean, we've all got stories we love to tell. I've got all kinds of stories. You probably know that I am a skilled outdoorsman. Uh, people here in Ruston, Lincoln Parish, I've become a legend. And, of course, I left the Zachary area and Picayune area as a legend as well because I got all kinds of stories. I can tell you about these hunts. I can tell you about all these great things. Man, I can tell you about a story. And a lot of you have heard those because, again, I just like to share it over and over and over. And there are some other things in my life. I mean, being able to go to Game 5 of the 2017 World Series it was my 40th birthday, and to be able to see one of the greatest games ever, yeah, I know there's some controversy, but who cares? Uh, you know, I was excited about that, and I get to tell that story still. I love to tell a story. Can you imagine, though, Cleopas? Like, he's telling Luke, like, let me tell you about that Sunday afternoon. It was Easter, and we had heard the report from the women. We had heard, we'd seen all those things. Could you imagine? Jesus comes, and he obscures his identity as he walks with these two disciples. And he says to them, he says, what are you talking about? Well, what, what events are you talking about? And the way they respond to Jesus, remember they're sad, they're in a glum state. They respond to Jesus like, what do you mean? Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not heard the things that were going on? News traveled fast in Jerusalem just like it does in a lot of our communities. I remember when I was younger and I would get off of the bus after returning home from school in the afternoon, I'd get off the bus and I would walk my drive. And a lot of times when the door opened, my mother would be right there and she knew exactly what had occurred during the day at school. Word traveled fast. Jerusalem was kind of like Ruston. It's kind of like Dubok. Kind of like Sims Bar, kind of like Jones Bar, kind of like all these towns. And all of a sudden, the news just would circulate. For those of us who are parents, we know that our children, well, they may get in trouble, but we will know about it because of all the different ways it is communicated in the community. And here, the disciples, they look at this guy. They don't know it's Jesus, obviously, but they say, are you a stranger? How do you not know what has happened in Jerusalem? And then you see how confused and conflicted they were. In verse 19, Jesus said to them, what things? And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. Listen to their confusion. They're confused over the cross, over the crucifixion. It says that they're talking to Jesus and they said, you know, we had this one that we were following. This one that we thought was the prophet. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. This is the one that we thought we were hoping the language there is that they continued on like they were following Jesus and they were continually hoping that he would be the one. And yet, they were confused because now Jesus had died. He had died at the hands of the religious leaders. He had been crucified. And they couldn't understand this. They couldn't process 
this. They were disappointed in the Messiah. They were disappointed in God. Why? Because the Messiah, the Christ, was supposed to be, at least according to expectation, the Messiah, the Christ, was supposed to be a political, military leader. He was supposed to come and to restore Israel. Notice what they say. We thought he would redeem Israel. They believed that this would be a David-Solomon kind of situation. It would be David-Solomon, that kind of leadership, coming back once again and leading the nation of Israel against all of its foes, against all of its enemies. As I was studying this week, I came across a prayer that was in a Jewish prayer book in, I would say, about 60 B.C. It was placed there. It was right after the Roman conquest of the Palestinian area. And the prayer, well, it reflects the idea, the expectancy of a Messiah that would lead the people into some type of anti-Roman utopia. There that prayer began like this. Behold, O Lord, and raise up unto them their king, the son of David, and gird him with strength that he may shatter unrighteous rulers with a rod of iron he shall break in pieces all their substance he shall destroy the godless nations with the word of his mouth and the prayer continues in that same way do you hear the heart even of those in the Jewish life as they would pray and they would say God we we want you to send the Messiah we need you to send the Christ we need you to send him to bring us political and military freedom we need him of course Jesus was anything but that Anything but that. All you have to do is go back to like Luke chapter 6, verses 26 and following. It's, uh, it's really Jesus giving his sermon on the mount. He's giving the life lessons to his disciples. And what he says to them is that you should love your enemy. What he says to them is that you need to turn the other cheek. What he says to them is if someone ask for your cloak, you give them your tunic as well. Does that sound like the political military king that the Jews were envisioning? No. And then Jesus had said, my kingdom is not of this world. He had even declared that. My kingdom's not of this world. So he had violated their expectations. I would just suggest to you that it's a good thing he did. I am grateful that he didn't come just to bring political freedom. I am grateful that he didn't come just as a military leader to be able to lift oppression, physical oppression, that is. I am proud that he came as a spiritual leader, one who not only could free us from the physical things, but one who could speak to us in spiritual matters and bring power and hope to our lives. But they were confused. They had seen this one that was supposed to be king die on the cross. Remember the shame of the cross. That meant that he was numbered among the transgressors. That he was considered one of the worst of the worst to be crucified. So the shame of the cross and the suffering of the cross. They had known what the cross would do to an individual. And they had seen the suffering and again, the religious leaders had participated in this, had actually directed this. This had all violated their expectations. 
Maybe it's summarized good for us by a guy named David Gooding who says this, Death and resurrection form no part of their concept of Messiah's office and program, which is why they had not really taken in what Jesus had said about his coming death. They were hoping for a Messiah who would break the imperialist domination of the Romans by force of arms. A Messiah who managed to allow himself to be caught by Jewish authorities, handed over to the Romans and crucified before he had even begun to organize any guerrilla operations, popular uprisings, or open warfare. What use was he? If the Old Testament prophesied a liberator who should not die but be triumphant, Jesus was, all, was already disqualified because he had died. After that, it was almost irrelevant to talk about a resurrection. Didn't make sense. Didn't make sense. And this is why Paul would write later, right? And he would say, For we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Because it does not make sense that a king would be killed. Their hearts were confused. Their expectations violated. Let me ask you, has God ever violated your expectations? How about his plan, his work in your life? The things that you thought you had all worked out, that this was the way it was supposed to go, and then all of a sudden, God seemed to pull the carpet from out from under you. Were you confused? Maybe it was a transfer of a job. Maybe it was a relationship that ended that you thought that relationship was going to be the one. Maybe it was when you sat down with the doctor and the doctor said, we think this is Parkinson's. Has God ever violated your expectations? Have you ever left confused? Let me bring it even to the last few weeks. Have you had moments where you thought, God, I prayed for the end of this virus and it didn't happen? Well, it has abated somewhat in some areas. And I will tell you that no matter what a politician tells you, God had something to do with that. But maybe you were thinking we would be back to a new normal. We'd be back in church life. I know I've been praying that. I've been praying that God would work in such a way that we would be able to be back on this campus. But God has not necessarily met my expectations. But God... He moves in our hearts and our lives, not for our expectations, but for his expectations. You know, I had a lot of plans. I've been thinking about that the last few weeks. I had a lot of plans, personal plans. Uh, we were going to do a few things this summer and beyond. You know, I had a few plans for the church. Some of you may not know that, but I had a plan or two for the church. We had goals. We were working toward that. God, I thought this was what you were doing. God, these were the expectations. God, I am confused. I've had moments of confusion. But you know what I've been reminded through this text? Is even when I'm confused, Christ comes in the midst of my confusion and he walks with me. I may not always know that he's there. I can't necessarily see his manifest presence, but I know he is walking with me. And he's walking with these disciples. They're confused over the cross, but they're conflicted over the resurrection. 
Continue to read on down their response. As they had said, this is the third day, which was significant because verse 22, it says, Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, they, but him they did not see. Do you hear in that? They're conflicted over the resurrection. They've heard the reports of the resurrection. They know what the women said. And then there were those of the number that went. Again, John tells us, Peter and John, they run to the tomb and they find nobody. They want to believe, but it's like they cannot believe. They're conflicted about this. You know, there are some things you just want to believe in life, right? I mean, there are some things you want to hold to and say, that's what I believe. But also reason says it's not going to happen. Rationale says you ought not to plan on this. Bill Brown and I are Ole Miss fans. I want to believe that Ole Miss will win a national championship in football next year. Reason says it ain't happening. It's not going to happen. Well, you know what? I rethought that. It might happen now if it's a virtual national championship. And they actually play video games instead of actually having to get out on the field. Maybe they can just play on the video game. Maybe they can. There are things we want to believe, but reason says no. Here, they want to believe the resurrection, but they're conflicted over it. It doesn't make sense. They're confused over the cross and the way Jesus died, and now they're conflicted over the resurrection itself. Doesn't seem to compute. Last week, I got a question as I had preached upon the resurrection of Jesus, and I talked about the disciples and how it was hard for them to believe. And someone rightly asked me a good, a good question, and that is, why did they have so much difficulty? Why did they have so much difficulty? Had not, they not seen Jesus' power? Did they not know that he could bring resurrection himself? I mean, he resurrected Lazarus. Resurrection was something that the prophets had known, and obviously Jesus had known. Why did they have so much difficulty? Because the prophet, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, God, Jesus had died. None of them, none of them even pretended to have the power to bring forth the resurrection. The one that was supposed to have the power of resurrection, he is gone. His body is not breathing. He is inanimate. He is dead. But he's not. Because at this moment, in this time, he is living and he is walking with these disciples. Because Jesus, this is the miracle of the resurrection. Because Jesus, who was dead, is the same one that has the power to live. Like, it was through his power, through God's power. It wasn't through a disciple's power. It wasn't through anything else. It was through Jesus' power. The one who was dead, who was lifeless, is living. That's the reason it was so hard for them to process this. And for them to even come to grips. To come to grips with the reality of the resurrection. They were conflicted. They were conflicted. I say to you again that there are times in our lives that we know we hear good theology. Uh, you, you hear some, some good teaching, good, good type of uh, spiritual encouragement maybe. And you know, you know 
the great uh, doctrines, and yet you're conflicted. You know God's going to take care of you. You know what he says about not worrying. But oh, the conflict when your job is all of a sudden removed. The financial hardship that comes. Oh, you know in your head, but your heart is conflicted over the issues that you are facing. I know, again, many people who are struggling, even some of their loved ones are going through uh, sickness and maybe in the hospitals and they can't even visit. And you know that God's close to them and you know that God is taking care of them. But at the same time, you, you are conflicted. Obviously, you want to be there. And it's like, you, you see, we live in states of conflict as well. Confusion and conflict. But I say again that in the midst of conflict, when your heart is being torn apart, that's when Jesus can walk by. It's when Jesus will walk by. And he will bring conviction and hopefully he will convince you of his power and of his love. So look at the rest of this passage this morning because in verse 25, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he begins to teach the scripture to them. He begins to say, let me show you what the word, what God's message to you has always been. And he begins to teach through the scriptures. Next week, we're going to talk about some of the scriptures that point to Jesus. I would say to you, all of the scriptures point to Jesus. But next week, we're going to talk about a few of the specific ones. But here Jesus is. He's teaching them. Wow. I've always, I've always wished that I could sit at Jesus' feet when he was here on this earth and hear him teach and teach with authority. I mean, there's no other like him, right? I love good Bible teaching. I came up through the years, and I had good Sunday school teachers. I had some good preachers. Uh, here at Temple and beyond at other churches, I've seen people that could take the Word. As I would say, they could grip it, and they could rip it. I mean, they could teach. They could share it, and it was tremendous. I love good Bible teaching, and you should too. Especially in this time, in this age, you need substance. So I love that. And here... It says that Jesus begins to interpret the scripture to them. And he's working through it with them. In verse 32, later they will say to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? So notice they were convicted by the scripture. They had been confused and they'd been conflicted. But now they are convicted by the scripture. Their hearts is burning. It, it's not an emotional response. It is a response of God using his word to pierce their hearts. During a moment of confusion and conflict, it is through his word that we can find his presence and his discernment. We can certainly find wisdom for ourselves. So I know that Many of us are ready to get back to normalcy and whatever that's going to look like in the days and the weeks to come. But there have been some blessings that have been noted by a lot of different people. One of the blessings of my life 
is that I've been able to see my family more, been able to share with them a little bit more. We, we've played a lot of horse. We've played a lot of uh, board games. We, even, we have even been through the neighborhood on our bike, and people are standing at the windows, just can't believe that they see me on a bike going by. But we've been doing a lot of different things like that. That's been tremendous. I admit to you that I've been spending more time with the Lord, certainly in prayer, but also in studying the Scripture. God has given me opportunity to study His Scripture. So, as I told you, I've been confused and conflicted in moments, but I've also been convicted. As I've looked through the Scripture, as I've been reminded uh, of His work, of how He is able to take the worst of things and use them for his good and his glory. I mean, I have been reminded over and over. I've been reminded, just as I'm sharing this with you this week, I've been reminded Jesus is walking with me. I say to you, take the scriptures. Jesus may not be personally here to teach you, but you know what I've found? The Holy Spirit is here to teach you and to guide you and to lead you through these moments. Take the scripture and allow him to speak to you in peace. They were convinced, ultimately, they were convinced, ultimately, of God's power and God's work and God's peace through the living Lord himself. It says in verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, and he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So they come in together, and they begin eating a meal, the intimacy of a meal. I I, I love this passage as well, because it is the intimacy of coming together in fellowship. And some way, in some measure, the way he broke the bread, the way he blessed it, the way he conducted himself, it opened their eyes, certainly as God gave them liberty, but that act opened their eyes. I believe it was from a memory that they had had with him before, where they had sat with Jesus before and visited with him and talked with him and they had seen him do this, that there was something in that. You know, Memories are very powerful. And I think about some of the memories I have at family meals or even meals that I've had with friends or churches. I mean, there's something powerful about those memories. When we would get through with church when I was younger, we would all go to my grandmother's house. I don't know if some of you remember those days where, like, you finished up church and you all tried to go because your grandmother cooked the best fried chicken ever, ever. And you would go and you would sit, and I have memories. I can still see my grandfather, my big boisterous granddaddy, sitting at the head of the table, just uh, talking and eating and carrying on my meek, quiet grandmother, my aunt, my uncle, my sister. I can see all these people around me. I can almost see their mannerisms. And here, they sit down with Jesus And something in the way he breaks the bread, something in the way he speaks the blessing, 
it reminds them of the intimacy and the fellowship that they've had with him before. See, if you've never had that intimacy and fellowship with Jesus, then it's hard to have a memory. If you've never sat down with him before, it's hard to be able to see him when he's right there before you. But they were able to see him. They recognized him. And yes, they were convinced. They were convinced that he was alive. Because remember, they were in conflict over the resurrection. But now they were convinced. And the scripture tells us in verses 33, 34, and 35 that they go back to Jerusalem. They forget their trip to Emmaus. They go back to Jerusalem and they tell the disciples exactly what had happened. And then while they're speaking in those verses 36 through 43, Jesus shows up again. And he speaks to them peace. Because the living Lord can give you peace. When you're convinced of him, he can bring you confidence and comfort. I will tell you that I've never seen Jesus physically. But every day I should live with the same reality of the resurrection as these disciples to Emmaus had, that Peter had, that Paul would have. You and I should know beyond a shadow of a doubt. We should live every day like we have seen him physically. And we should be convinced by it. When our hearts are conflicted, it is the living Lord that comes to bring us peace and to remind us. And what I love also about this passage is that when he appears to the disciples, he, shows them his, he will show them his wounds. He will show them his wounds. To remind them that all of the difficulty that they're going through he has experienced himself. And as he walks with you on the road, as he walks with you in this moment of intimacy and fellowship, even though you may be confused and conflicted, Christ will still come to you. And what he will do is he'll walk in woundedness with you. He will bring to you conviction at times, and he will bring to you the confidence as you are convinced and what he can do in your life. Some of you today, you may have been confused and conflicted over church life. You may have been confused and conflicted over Christianity itself. I encourage you today to hear what this message is and to allow Jesus to take a walk with you. I want you to hear him as he speaks to you. I want you to hear him as he reminds you of the confidence you can have. And if you have never accepted him before, if you've never given your life to him, I ask you this day to bow right where you are, by that kitchen table, by that couch, maybe in front of that computer. You would bow now and you would pray and ask him to come into your life. Repent of your sin. Tell him that you have sinned and ask him to come in and forgive you. I tell you that he will come to you. And he will bring salvation. If you have a question or if you have another need that you need to talk to us about, you text NEEDS to 97000. That will be a private request that will come to us. I encourage you to do that. Those of you who are saved, though, it's okay to be confused and conflicted. But you need to allow Jesus to walk with you to bring conviction and convincing to your life. You need him to bring confidence. And he will do that. 
He will come to you and he will give you exactly what you need. There was an old hymn some years ago that we would sing. Remember, Jeremy, it really reminded us of the presence of God. You know, sometimes God will clear his throat to remind us that he's, he's there. But this old hymn spoke to us about being able to walk with him and talk with him. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. None other. I tell you today that in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your conflicted heart, he will walk with you and talk with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this message. And God, I pray right now that you would speak to all of those who are listening, all of these who are watching this broadcast. God, there are some who really just need to give their life to you and be saved. God, I pray that you would give them liberty to call upon you and then to let us know, God, that they've joined your family. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ out there who are going through a state of confusion and they're conflicted. And God, right now, they just, they just need a touch. They need confidence. They need comfort. I pray you would walk right by them and walk with them through these moments and through this time. God, give them all the confidence that they need through your scripture and through your presence in their lives. We pray it now. In Jesus' name, amen.